Good morning, Baymarin. Uh, my name is Dave Clute. I am a pastor in the East Bay, a uh, church called Open Door in Walnut Creek. I get to work with Jane. Uh, Jane's awesome, yeah? Um, we love Jane, and we in the East Bay love Jane. Uh, Jane's a gift. Um, grateful to be here with you mor- uh, this morning. Uh, what a morning. Uh, this, uh, I've never preached in the middle of a business meeting, um, but uh, it's an honor. Like, it's a gift. This is a, this is a big deal. This is a big moment uh, for your community. Transition uh, is this weird thing that happens in organizations. It happens in life. It happens in families through life stage transition, all these things. It's a big deal. Transitions are hard. Transitions are difficult. Transitions are scary. Uh, and transitions are also the place where humans grow the most. It's the place where we're stretched beyond the place we thought we could be stretched. It's the place where we sometimes ache in places we didn't even know existed, um, and yet we grow and we're formed and we're shaped. Um, and as churches transition, it's this awesome opportunity to be formed and shaped uh, for what God is doing in your midst and what God is calling you into to move forward and walk into in the future. So um, you have a, a, a team of people, a, a group of people who have your back and are praying for you. Uh, Jane and I in the East Bay, uh, we're friends with Justin McRoberts, who's going to be with you a bunch next month. Uh, I'm friends with Mark Scandrett, who's going to be with you sometime this summer as well. And you have people throughout this Bay Area who are praying for you, who are cheering you on, who are rooting for you. Um, I think about the New Testament churches, and they're like exchanging letters um, and like encouraging each other through letters and passing stuff back and forth and, and notes and words of wisdom and encouragement. And somehow, somewhere along the way, I think with the invention of the car, churches stopped doing that, probably way before that. But at some point, churches stopped passing on letters. So consider my presence here, consider Jane's presence here, uh, like a letter of encouragement that we're not just here to like do something for you or to, to lead you in songs or to like invite you into the scriptures, but we are here saying what you're doing matters. Uh, the way that God is at work in this community is unique, and you've been called into something beautiful now and in the season ahead. And we're with you. Uh, We trust that God is with you and at work amongst you. So, uh, thumbs up, high fives. Uh, You're not alone. We're trusting that God is doing great things in the midst of this. Um, So again, my name is Dave. Um, I've been in the Bay Area for about five years now. I'm trying to think of things to say uh, to help you get to know me a little bit. Um, Those are some of the things. Uh, It's summer, yeah, Dave, been in the Bay Area five years. That's not a lot. You don't know much about me. Um, it's summer. Uh, at Open Door, we say that in summer, Open Door goes liquid, which means it's really hard to pin anyone down. It's really hard to get anyone to show up at any per- a certain time. We're going to do more business meetings. I'll write that down, Jane. We're going to do a lot of business meetings. Um, but summer's this beautiful opportunity in the Bay Area to enjoy this unbelievable space that we live in. Um, so uh, one of my favorite things to do on my own or with my family is to go to Yosemite. So last week I was in Yosemite. Uh, this next week I'm going to Yosemite. And then in August I'm going to Yosemite for two whole weeks. Um, we go to Tuolumne Meadows where there is no cell reception because a winter storm knocked out the tower three winters ago and nobody's bothered to put it up and everybody's happy about it. So um, summer in the Bay Area, what a gift, what a joy, uh, but also a joy to be here uh, with you this morning. So um, At Open Door, all summer long, uh, we are moving through what we're calling a pirate journey. Um, And we're talking about pirates at Open Door, uh, partially because pirates are cool and fun and kind of hip right now. People like dressing up as pirates. There's pirate-themed birthday parties that kids go to, which is kind of a weird thing because pirates, like, 
kind of the bad guys, right? Like, but anyways, we're talking about pirates at Open Door. Um, this idea that we've been invited into something different. We've been invited to step out of the norm, normal way of living life in society uh, and to follow Jesus. And that Jesus leads us into some unexpected, uh, surprising places, places of difficulty, places where we're um, kind of like, we find ourselves clashing with people around us, with the world around us not for any reason other than the good work that God is doing in our midst. So we're talking about pirates and we're talking a lot about resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. And that's really good news for our world because our imagination for what life looks like is really small, generally. And resurrection helps us fill up our lungs and expand our imagination for what life in the world and for what life with God can look like. Sometimes it feels like humans, us, we, uh, get stuck in the story that our life begins and our life ends, and that we just move in this very like small, linear pattern that starts here and moves this way, and our whole imagination for life is shaped by like a little box, kind of a little rectangle. It starts here, it ends here, and that is what life looks like. There's no imagination for what life looks like outside of this. It's restricted to this little box. But Jesus throws this beautiful wrench into this simple, linear, finite equation of life as we know it. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus spoke about life in a more complicated and nuanced and beautiful way. He talked about the abundance of life in God's kingdom, that life to the full or life eternal was available to everyone and anyone and anywhere. And your ability to experience the closeness and goodness of God wasn't determined by what your job was or who your parents were or where you were born or how much money you make. The abundant eternal life that Jesus spoke about was available to you, to me, to us. And that this wasn't just some far off promise that life would be available to you someday, one day out there after all of this stuff passes, but that life in God's kingdom was available now. Jesus said that life with God or the kingdom of God is in your midst. In this very moment, it's in our very presence. And when Jesus was saying these things, most people heard this as very good news. But some of the people, and primarily if we look back, it was the people who were wrapped up in power and money and politics, some people were threatened by this very good news. And these are the people that had Jesus killed. But we know the story. Jesus was killed, but then Jesus walked out of the tomb that he was buried in. So Jesus, during his life, invited people into a life that was stronger than death. And then he was killed, but then he started breathing again. And all of a sudden, our imagination for life expands. Life is no longer limited by death. But a resurrection introduces this possibility of a life that's bigger more beautiful, strong, more sh- stronger than death. Resurrection <laughs> complicates things. It complicates our understanding of life, but it does so in beautiful ways. The world is messier and more wondrous as we move from this simple dichotomy between life and death into the potential and the vibrancy and the nuance that resurrection throws into the mix. So I'm going to read uh, this last uh, part of the Gospel of Mark today, and I'm going to read it twice. And as I read it, I have two questions that I want to invite you to think about. And the two questions are, what do you notice? And what do you wonder? So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. What do you notice? What do you wonder? 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let me read that one more time, and then I want to hear from a couple of you if you have a couple of thoughts. What do you wonder? What do you notice? When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What do you notice? What do you wonder? You can just shout out some things and I'll try to repeat it so that everybody can hear. I noticed that the angel told them to stay and they said nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what are you supposed to do? You tell me not to say something, and now you're telling me to say something. And uh, it's interesting. It's like the work of resurrection has been done. Now go and share this news. Yeah. What do you wonder? What do you notice? I'm curious who the third character is. Which third? We got these two Marys. They sound familiar. And then there's Salome. They brought spices. We don't know much about her. I'm curious too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this something. Uh, I think Justin was with you a while back, and he talked about how 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 beautiful this is that women were going to care for the body of Jesus, um, and because of their faithfulness, because of their courage, because of their they're doing the thing that they knew in their bodies that they had to do, they get to be these first witnesses to resurrection. That's beautiful. And what were they afraid of? What were they afraid of? Yeah. It's really interesting. Like, if you're, if you're looking on in your Bible, you can see that there's, there are some verses that follow, but there's always a note in our Bible that says the earliest manuscripts, the earliest versions we have of Mark's gospel, stop at that verse 8 where it just says, 
They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. That's the end of Mark's good news, uh, the good news of Jesus according to Mark. Uh, and then, like later on, people were like, "That's not the good, good. That can't be the ending of the story. Let's let's put this in there. Let's put this in here." So, like, so we're just ended with this question of what were they afraid of? Because Mark's gospel ends with them being afraid. So it begs this question in us: What were they afraid of, and what happened as a result of that fear? Yeah, what what are they what are they saying? What's that conversation on the way back? Yeah, like totally. It's like, well, you saw literally like we look at this, we're like, oh, this is a ghost story. That makes sense to me of like why they would be freaked out because they saw a ghost. Some they saw something and it wasn't what they expected to see. I find it Yeah, so Jane is saying like these these women are wondering about like who's gonna roll this stone away? It makes it makes us it really clear the stone was really big. And they're like, who's gonna roll this stone away? And Jane's like, huh, God as they were talking about it, God was at work pushing that stone out of the way. Any other thoughts? Lots of other thoughts. Yes. Yeah, who's this guy that's just sitting there in the white robes? Like, like I, you, you picture him, like, if you picture him like me, it's like, you kind of have, like, the big spotlight on him, and there's maybe, like, a little bit of, like, a fog machine uh, rolling around, like it's the 90s. Um, but, like, who is this guy? Is it just a guy? Is it, like, a messenger, angel-type character? Is it someone we're supposed to know? Like, earlier on, like, in the Transfiguration, they're like, oh, that's Elijah, that's Moses. They, like, know who these people are. This is just a guy wearing a, some kind of white cloak or robe or something, just kind of sitting there. And he's, got a, he's got a word for them. Who is that guy? I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those... He's a ghost. <laughs> I like to say the word God. Yes. There's something about the, the act of going together. I think that, that allows them to go into the unknown, that allows them to... And, and part of how they, how they saw their work caring for Jesus and following Jesus was that it wasn't something they just did on their own. It's something they do together. Well, I had another thought about their heading out there, not having any idea how the stone was going to get rolled. Like, that seems like maybe not a very good plan. <laughs> yeah, we got some planners in the room. And you're like, well, you kind of set out to do this task and you didn't really bring the supplies. Like, it says they set out with spices. And then they're like, how are you going to roll this stone away? And the way that, uh, in chapter 15, it says that the guy who owned the tomb, he rolled the stone into place. So you're like, okay, if one guy can roll the stone, maybe, maybe one woman can roll it away. But like, the way that they did stone rolling in front of tombs was that the stone would be up on a hill and the entrance to the tomb was down below. And you just like push the stone down and it would roll down a hill, seal up the tomb. And it's like, nobody's pushing that stone out of the way. So it's not like a simple task where like you just like kind of like scatter a few spices and the stones is going to disappear. So like there's some planning that was not not totally done, but they went for it anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're like we we hear in other gospel accounts about the guards in front of the tomb. They're not there in this one. Where are they? I don't know. I'm not sure. 
the spices. They just they, they escaped with the spices, something. When the stone rolled away, it rolled the guards right away too. I'm not sure. Um, the two things that rise up for me uh, from this passage are, are hope and courage. And we've, we've kind of touched on some of this, but like the hope of these women in the face of skepticism or cynicism or doubt or an insurmountable obstacle, like a giant stone in front of a tomb and you being equipped with spices. Um, hope in the face of cynicism or skepticism or doubt and courage in the face of fear and the unknown. And these women embody hope and these women embody courage. So these three women, these three disciples are walking ahead into the unknown and they trust, they know deep down that there's a calling, a purpose, a vocation for them ahead. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus. But they also know that there's something that stands in their way. There's this insurmountable obstacle that stands in their way. And and according to the story that Mark tells, they literally don't know how they're going to do the thing that they set out to do. But they set out anyway. And that's either amazing for those of us, for some of us, or it's frustrating for those of us who are like, why didn't you plan better? Why didn't you bring like a big crowbar or like a pry tool or something? Or like, have you invented the lever yet? Like, like, what are you doing? So it's either amazing or it's frustrating that they set out knowing there's an insurmountable task in front of them, but they set out anyways. Um, It's real easy. We could sit around and brainstorm for an hour and come up with a thousand different insurmountable obstacles that we face in the world, politically, socially, psychologically, spiritually. There's a lot coming at us that can lead us into cynicism or skepticism or despair. Like, can we really handle 16 more months of political debates? What do we do with this immigration crisis? It feels like unsolvable and too big for any of us to hold. Like, what can we do with it? Like, how how can we raise teenagers in this world that I hardly understand? Or how can I be a teenager in this world that my parents clearly don't understand? Like, we live in this time, we live in this place where it feels like there's more questions than answers. There's more information being, like, hurtled at us than we know what to do with. There's more that we're expected to know that we actually have the capacity to hold on to and to carry and one of the things that I think we end up doing when we're like thrown like all these insurmountable obstacles at us is that we, we end up literally or figuratively kind of like sitting on the couch and like throwing critiques out at the world. And there's this sad reality in the world that Christians are primarily, primarily known as negative people. That Christians, the people who follow Jesus, who orient their lives around Jesus, the one who wouldn't stop talking about life and rescue and good news, Christians are known primarily for what they're against instead of what they're for. You've, you've heard this, right? Like, this is like a common thing uh, that people feel and experience. Christians are primarily known as being people against something rather than people for something. And I think there's a connection between this world of cynicism and skepticism that we live in. But in this story, in this gospel account of these disciples, there's this invitation to be for something, not just against stuff. The invitation of these three women, how they woke up, how they moved out toward the tomb, knowing what stood in their way, but going anyway. Insurmountable obstacle lies ahead. They've identified it. They know what the problem is. They don't know how they're going to fix it, but they go forward in hope. They go forward in trust. They trusted that God was stronger than even the biggest boulder. They trusted that Jesus was worth their attention, even when it seemed foolish. They trusted that life was stronger than death. And their life with Jesus stirred hope in them. And that hope moved them into action. I want to follow these women as they follow Jesus. 
I want to be a person of radical hope. I want to be someone who holds on to something even in the face of questions and doubts and obstacles, no matter how insurmountable they seem. I want to move forward. I want to go somewhere. And I think these women show us the way to do it. You wake up and you go and do it. You do it together. You do it in the trust and hope that God is already at work. You move forward. You go somewhere. But these women weren't just people of hope, but also people of courage in the face of fear. Uh, Fear is a tricky thing and it's a complicated thing. Um, What are we afraid of? Like, I could ask, what are you afraid of? And we could get, like, real psychological real quick and get to know each other. That's a, that's a great way to get to know each other. Tell me your deepest fears. Um, speaking generally, broadly, what are humans in our world afraid of? Failure, Failure death, pain. pain. Humiliation, change. Public speaking. <laughs> the unknown. There's like a thousand things that like, and we went like um, thematic real fast. That's like, we could have just talked about spiders and we could have had a conversation about spiders. Uh, we could, like public speaking is one of those things where it's like, that's a specific thing. You're afraid of it or you're not. Um, but it's like loss, the unknown, pain, transition, hardship. All of these things are like things that we're afraid of. Um, this story in Mark's gospel, is a bit complicated because it leaves us sitting in the space of fear and wondering what comes next. These women of hope in the face of insurmountable obstacle are also women who experience fear, which is to say these are humans. Like, fear is a human thing. And even if you had the courage to wake up and go and do the thing that seems impossible to do, fear can cycle back into the story real quick. And it does it in these women's story. So the story ends, and these women are are sitting in the space of fear, and we as readers are wondering what comes next. Luckily for us, uh, we have the benefit of history as we read this text, because we know that these disciples, these women, didn't stay put in their fear, right? We know that courage rose up inside of them, and that they went, and that they told the other disciples, and that's why we even have a story to read, because they went and did the thing that they were afraid of doing, but the story makes a big point to, for us to see that, like, but they were afraid. It's a real thing. Humans face fear. Fear is something that emanates, um, I think, from, from two different spaces, it seems. Um, fear emanates from within us. We have these fears that we mentioned. They're, they're fears that are our fears. And when we think about what life holds for us, like, fear rises up within us. Fear is also something that can be stirred up around us. Um, and the best analogy that I can think of, or the best metaphor image for this, is that uh, in the neighborhood where I live, about six houses down from me, um, there's a woman who lives in a house, and on the property that the house is on, there's about 40 to 50 cats who also live on this property. And some of the neighbors really don't like this woman because of these 40 or 50 cats. And I've talked to her and she's like, what they don't understand is that when I moved in, there were 80 to 90 cats. And now like, I'm like doing really good work. I've halved the population of feral cats in our neighborhood. We're only, we only have 40 or 50 now. We used to have 80 or 90. But these cats, like, they own the neighborhood and I am just temporarily there from their perspective. So these cats, like, they don't stay on this one property. They, like, they own the neighborhood. Like, all 166 houses in our neighborhood are these cats' 
domain. So all the time, it's like every day I'm waking up and there's like cat poop everywhere. There's cats that are like just doing whatever cats want to do at all hours of the day. They're knocking stuff over in our yard. They're big cats and they're small cats and they're scary cats or whatever. But like I have realized that I have a great capacity to terrify these cats. And that that fear may be the best weapon that I can leverage against these cats. Because unlike this woman, I don't have the patience to like slowly trap, uh, fix, and release feral cats, I don't have the patience for that. So what I, all I want to do is keep the cats off my property. So like when, when there are like 15 cats in my backyard at night and I hear them doing cat things in my backyard, I'm like, let's make noise. Let's like open windows and close them real quick. Let's slam a door. Let's like stomp a bunch. And like I can incite fear that moves this small population of cats off of my property. All they do is jump the fence into our neighbor's property. So my neighbors don't like me, but at least the cats aren't permanently taking up residence in my backyard. So fear is something that can be stirred up around us and and motivate action. Does that make sense? We have these fears that well up within us, and we have these fears that are utilized to move things around us, like I move the neighborhood cats. I generally like cats. I'm very kind to them. I would never hurt a cat. I don't always want them in my backyard. Uh, We can have a conversation about cats (laughs) afterward, if need be. Um, This fear that rises up from within us, it can trap us. It can feel like we're just frozen, like we're stuck. It can trap us in the status quo. Fear swirling around us can be incited. It can be weaponized to perpetuate injustice and to keep broken systems broken. Or not broken for the the people in charge, but broken for everybody else. And we can see this happening in small ways and big ways in our own lives, in our neighborhoods, and certainly right now on like the the immigration crisis on our southern border. Like fear is being utilized in a certain way to, to produce a certain result. So what do we do with all this fear? How do we move forward? Over and over again in the scriptures, humans are confronted by the sacred and holy command to not be afraid. We see it here in this passage. He says, They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Some translations say, don't be amazed. Some translations say, don't be afraid. It's the most often repeated command from Genesis to Revelation. Do not be afraid. We talk about facing our fears, conquering our fears, but this invitation to fear not is repeated so often in the scriptures because fear is not just a singular event that we overcome. We don't just get over stuff. So the answer is not simply to stop being afraid of spiders, for example. Stop being afraid of spiders, but instead grow as a person of courage in the face of the things that we fear. I have two little boys at home, and we tell them often that that to be brave is not to be unafraid. Bravery doesn't mean you're not afraid. Bravery means that even when you're afraid, you move forward. You keep on going even when fear creeps in, cycles back into the story. It took courage for these three women to set out toward the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But fear cycles back in as the messenger, this strange guy in the white clothes with a spotlight and the smoke machine, tells them that Jesus wasn't there. And instead of anointing a dead body, they're to chase after a resurrected body. And for a while, fear grips these disciples says they just they they sat there they said nothing they did nothing because they were afraid fear had gripped them but slowly courage pushes them through their fear and the entire course of history changed as a result of these early Jesus followers the early Jesus community moving through their fear with courage 
And over and over again in the scriptures, this invitation, this command to fear not is not just left on its own. There's almost always a corresponding command. Don't be afraid. Go follow Jesus. Don't be afraid. Hear this good news and then share it. This seems to pop up any time there's this command to not be afraid. Go and do this thing. You may be afraid, but don't just sit in your fear. Move forward in courage. So to the fear that rises up within us, it seems like the word of God to us is fear not, do not be afraid, and grow in courage as you follow Jesus. And there's also this external fear at work that we were talking about, the fear that can be weaponized to gain or hold on to power to perpetuate broken systems and injustice and hurt people. This isn't a new thing. This is, this is something that humans in power do. They, we utilize fear. It's a powerful motivator. It's a powerful thing that can be weaponized against people. We've always tried to vilify the people we don't understand to turn would-be neighbors into brothers, would-be neighbors, would-be brothers and sisters into strangers and enemies. Fear is a powerful tool to that end. And to that fear that rises up around us and against us and against others, I think the word of God is the same. Fear not, Do not be afraid. Grow in courage as you follow Jesus. When I think about life with my family in my neighborhood, I want to follow Jesus with courage. When I think about my faith community in the East Bay, I want to be part of a community that's following Jesus with courage. And it feels like our neighborhoods could use some courage right about now feels like our families could use some courage right about now. It feels like our world could use some courageous Jesus followers right about now. This story in Mark gives us a window in one of these moments in history where Jesus followers moved out in courage and everything shifted as a result. The way that the church engaged all the questions of their day about militarism and about economy and about what the family structure looks like and how you treat people who are in a different social class than you, all of these questions shifted on a large scale because of people growing in courage as they followed the resurrected Jesus. And it starts here with these three women. Even in the face of fear, we are invited to follow Jesus, to move forward, to go ahead and join the work of God in the world around us. I don't know that any one person can talk any of us out of cynicism. I don't know that any of us could convince each other out of fear and into courage. But together, I think what we're invited into is to follow Jesus. And that as we follow Jesus, I think our hope will grow. I think our courage will become louder than both the fear that rises up within us and the fear that swirls and is spread around us in the world. So my hope and my prayer is that we might grow as people who walk ahead into the unknown with both hope and courage. So this week, may you find yourself filled with hope in a world that is desperate for hope. May you find courage and bravery stirred in your soul as you follow Jesus this week. Let's pray, and we're going to find ourselves at the table uh, and sing in response to God. Jesus, you've gone before us. The, the story from Mark says that you went ahead of these women into Galilee and you invite us to follow. You, you leave the place of comfort and, and head off into the unknown and then you turn back and invite us to follow you. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what this week holds. Uh, but we trust that you're out ahead of us. You're there working before us. 
and that you've invited us to follow you in small ways and in big ways. Grow us this week in our hope, grow hope in us, and grow courage in us, Jesus, as we follow you. In your name we pray, amen. Um, We're going to sing and also find our way to the table for Eucharist, which just means to give thanks. Uh, It's this chance to remember the work that Jesus did on our behalf, that it's for us, it's for you, it's for your neighborhood. Because of what Jesus did, life abundant is available to you. So as you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, remember the work of Jesus. Remember that it was effective, that it worked, and that it's for you this week. Bamerin, this week as you go in celebration, good news, uh, anticipation of the the, the season ahead of you. Um, May we not be a people who wait for courage to rise up in us before we set out. But may we be a people who trust that as we follow Jesus, we will find courage, we will grow in courage, and the same with hope. As we follow Jesus, we will find ourselves as people of hope and courage. Follow these women as they follow Jesus with courage and hope. Go this week in hope, courage, grace, and peace. Amen?